You're listening to The Music Tricked Me, a podcast by French recording engineer Elise Mollet, where music insiders talk about their experience in the industry and all the tricks they've learned along the way. The Music Tricked Me Hello everyone, I hope everyone is doing well and I hope you're ready for a really cool chat with a really cool guy called Jake. Hi Jake, how are you doing? Hey, how are you? Not too bad, how's yourself? I'm good, good, surviving through uh, December winter. Winter, <laughs> December, Christmas, December, winter, yeah. <laughs> you're coming home for uh, Christmas, are you? Coming back in, yeah, on the 20th for like a week back to Ireland. Mm, brilliant. And how's usually a typical uh, Irish Christmas? Just hang out with the family um, back at home in my folks' house. Auntie and uncle come over, grandparents come over, eat, drink, play with your new train set, you know, the usual. <laughs> <laughs> How many guitars have you asked Santa to deliver under the tree? Uh, none this year, but I got oh. I got a couple of, I picked up a couple of new ones yesterday. I had a little trip to um, the Gibson showroom in in central London. And I'll show you, actually. I got a lap steel. Yay. Picked up one of these. Unreal. Um, <laughs> what? You're going to have to demonstrate wanna, a bit. I can't, I can't play it yet. I, I, spent, <laughs> <laughs> I spent about four hours practicing it last night. And I felt a little bit better afterwards, but... I still sound shit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I got one of them and then got a loan of a, a Les Paul and a and a J45 acoustic just for some upcoming tour stuff next year. Mm. So um, don't need any guitars off Santa. <laughs> well, I'm sure you have like enough to play with for now. <laughs> yeah, big time. <laughs> and what have you been up to then? Uh, today? <laughs> or the last, the last one? <laughs> up to you. Um... The last while, well, I've kind of been, yeah, I've been, I've been away for the last six weeks with an Irish artist, uh, Colm Moncrief. He's like a pop, he's a pop, I suppose he's a pop singer, but he writes quite sad songs that all relate to, well, a lot of them relate to the death of his brother and sister and his mental health. Um, and then there's other songs, there's like, you know, your, your typical kind of love song kind of vibe, but um He's great. He's really good. And he's got an amazing, soulful, uh, gospel-y voice. So we've been touring since late October. And we did like 26 or 27 gigs in 30 days or something like that. It was full on. Um, so I'm just back from that. and preparing, at the moment, preparing for a, a campaign with Niall Horan that starts in January. So Tom MD and musical director in both of those projects so mm-hmm. kind of gone from one to which was out on the road to like being at home in the laptop looking at Ableton sessions learning songs doing arrangements okay, so yeah well, sorry no go on um, so what are some of the projects that are in line already for 2023 well 2023 it's, it's all at the moment it's all Nile. so he's got we've got rehearsals at the start of January for like two weeks um, there in London. So it'd be good to get the old band back together, get the lads back. We've got like a new album of tunes to get through. Then in February, he's got some promo stuff, which still hasn't really been decided. Well, I'm sure it's been decided, but we just haven't found the full the full schedule out yet. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that'll be hopefully like TV, radio, maybe a live lounge, stuff like that. And then we do more rehearsals in March and then more promo and then festivals in the summer. Brilliant. And um, for those who don't know you, Jake is a very talented session guitarist. And um, as you mentioned, you played with Niall Horan and Moncrief, but you also played with um, Julia Michaels, uh, Dermot Kennedy, James Vincent McMorrow. Uh, You played with uh, Sorka Richardson. You played recently with uh, Luis Capaldi as well, I think. It was meant to. It was meant to. It didn't happen. Oh, no way. Yeah, it didn't happen in the end because uh, the Queen the queen died and everything everything was cancelled. Oh, so, was it going to be like a, like several shows or just, just one? It was, I think it was going to be, it was going to be Graham Norton and 
Michael McIntyre show. Um, but it got rescheduled because the Queen died. And then the rescheduled dates is his main band could do them. But I think we did. I think he got up and played a song at a gig with Niall a few years ago. So technically, yeah, played with him for three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't count. It's not it's not Instagram Instagram bioable. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice for like the crack. Yeah, I mean I've drank a lot of pints with him. <laughs> but never never properly played. Maybe you'll have the opportunity again. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so pints and guitar are your two main passions. <laughs> no, mostly guitar. Mostly guitar. <laughs> mostly guitar, hanging out with my friends, having a nice time. But yeah, no, pretty, pretty have been pretty obsessive about the guitar for 18 years well, tell us how did you get into that so yeah your main work is as a session guitarist and we can talk further on about your um, role as a musical director but we could start with your session musician work yeah yeah sure um so my dad plays guitar he's he's great rock guitar player so there was, he was always playing around the house and then he started teaching me and then he you know gave me a couple of lessons and then sent me to a teacher in in the Artane School of Music. Um, so yeah, I guess the, like, the love of it started with my dad, but the teacher that I got sent to, it was a guy called Dave Mullen, who, who recently just moved around the corner from my parents. So whenever I'm home, I try and hang out with him. And I haven't seen, I haven't seen him in about a year, but the last, prior to that, the last bunch of times I was home, we'd always be hanging out. But uh, he was also, or is also a session guitar player um and he opened up that but he kind of taught me that you know what that is and opened up that world to me and got me he used to put me on gigs that he couldn't do um from when I was like like 13 or 14 um and he kind of basically started my career for me because I just met loads of people through him and and then he taught he taught me for like six years maybe and then at that point he was like uh which i thought was really admirable he was like i want you to go to this other guy for lessons because he's like you know i feel like i've taught you enough and you can you can learn from someone else which was really cool because most teachers would just sit there and take the money for the you know for the rest of time um but he was like nah it's time to time for you to move on study something else with someone else so yeah Dave legend <laughs> thank you Dave and yeah. how different is you know the learning the practice when you want to be a session guitar player because to get to that standard you know to be a session musician you have to be really quick you have to know you know the different keys and, and modes or whatever so did you have to do a lot of music reading did you have to do things slightly differently to adapt to becoming a session musician yeah i guess like i mean loads of people go down do do the session thing and they go down different avenues like some people learn to read some people don't learn how to read some people learn loads of theory some people get by without it so there's not really any hard and fast rules but i i, I did was taught how to read and was taught and I learned loads of theory and always studied loads of theory. But I, th I think the most important thing is, um, or one of the most important things is having a good grasp of different styles and knowing all, or knowing as many of the greats that kind of came before you. So like, you and that, and that, that kind of comes up, like when, especially when you're recording, it comes up, you know, people maybe reference a certain sound and you kind of have to know how to get that and know what it is. So, I suppose that com comes about from studying other guitar players and other musicians, but yeah, basically a lot of learning, <laughs> a lot of a lot of a lot of really boring learning that was was fun at the time. But now, when I go back to do it, it feels like it's so much more tedious now and so much so much harder to like take in new information and absorb it like I did maybe when I was sixteen. Mm -hmm. Like feel like I, now looking back, feel like I could have learned anything at sixteen and just you know, had that fresh brain to just mm -hmm. <laughs> take it in. But after sort of years of gigging and and not practicing six hours a day or five hours a day, like I used to, um, it's like that muscle, that learning muscle is kind of, it's not gone, but it's, it, it it's gotten lazy. 
But at least it, it's, I'm sure it's second nature now for you to like find the sounds and you you have to remind yourself maybe of some practices, but a lot of it is anchored in your brain now. So you don't really have to do all that studying, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel you can always be learning new stuff, but definitely a lot of it is, yeah, in there. And it's sort of fine now most, of the things I play or go to do is is more in it's more like based based on intuition mm-hmm. and just knowing what feels right in a particular moment rather than thinking like I hate thinking while playing I think that's the worst thing ever having to having to be over analyzing what you're going to play or what you've just played so yeah I mean it depends on the music though if the music is more challenging the L the L brain's going to get a bit of a bit of a workout <laughs> mm-hmm. but but i'm, I'm tr- like i said i've bought that lap steel and then you know that's that's a good opportunity to try and get back into the process of learning and it feels easier to do that with with the lap steel because it's a totally new instrument so when you're a beginner at something you notice improvement a lot faster because you suck <laughs> at the start yeah. and you can you slowly just get you know less shit yeah, you don't have like the high expectations that you have when you've been playing the same instrument for years. That's it. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, yeah, it's harder to improve when you've studied something for ages, but yeah. 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 Is it important for you to balance like music for work and music for fun? So having those other channels, like learning a different instrument. So it's not just like playing guitar constantly all the time related to work because there's a danger that you might fall out of love with it yeah totally totally like yeah i mean there's loads of avenues you can explore to 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 have fun with it whereas it's learning new things or experimenting with pedals and making making strange sounds or writing like so yeah definitely i don't actively try and have a make a have a balance between the work side and the fun side but I mean, it still all feels like the fun side mm-hmm. in a way to me. I do get a little bit like pissed off with the thing every now and then and not want to touch it for, you know, a week or whatever. But yeah, it's still mostly fun, which is good. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And to yeah. go back to what you were uh, saying about this intuition thing and how um, you started in growing your career, was there a specific point you're thinking that you considered yourself a professional session musician did you feel it was connected to that moment you didn't have to think anymore you were less stressed on stage etc um i feel like i started so young that i i kind of didn't i don't remember when that like transition period to just sort of feeling comfortable doing it because i actually felt more comfortable doing it when i was younger and then the older i got the more uncomfortable it's it's wow. it's felt and the, the more difficult well no that's maybe just in terms of playing i mean i find i find playing the guitar incredibly difficult now whereas up until i was like 18 or 19 i found that it was the easiest thing in the world it was like second nature and then maybe just hit hit to a certain sort of i know, started learning a bunch of bunch of things that made it quite difficult and now when i pick it up i'm like i don't know how this is gonna go i've this this could sound awful or it could not on a gig like i'm obviously confident on a gig and rehearsed but like even just picking it up in the room i'm like anything could happen you know mm-hmm. um but but i've always felt comfortable with the like the professional side of it like i've never felt too freaked out by anything because I've been like I always played with like people who are much older than me Mm -hmm. and I learned a lot from them in terms of being professional and also just musically from a young age so I was quite quite lucky that way Mm -hmm. and if you had to start your career again from the ground up what would be the key points I guess the advice that you would give to people who are thinking about starting a career as a session musician what do you think are the important abilities how to create contacts in the best way um what recommendation could you give in terms of playing i would just make an attempt to brush off all the styles or not brush off like get it get try and get as in-depth as you can with all the all the different styles and genres and guitar players but also don't try and copy anyone note for note because everyone knows everyone knows musicians who just you know are obsessed with one or two people and then they just end up kind of sounding like a bad imitation version um 
so yeah I don't know like always have the the thing in your head that you at some point in life doesn't doesn't have to be when you're in your 20s it could be when you're 60 you, you get to a point where you're like oh I have my own voice on the thing and I actually sound unique to my own ears anyway mm. and who cares if no one else believes that but if you if you feel that you sound unique so I'd maybe like yeah strive for that or always have that in the back of your head but while also studying all the the classics and all the things you have to do which is it maybe sounds like a contradiction but yeah it's starting with the basics and then evolving to mixing it all up yeah and then finding what's unique about you yeah and compiling it's the same in the studio totally yeah i mean and it, it, it makes sense when you put it that way because if you're if you're taking things from loads of different worlds and combining them together it's going to sound unique somehow but yeah like that and get your tones together you can be like you can be like an decent guitar player and have an amazing have an amazing sound and it sounds way better than a like fucking super advanced guitar player who's got a shit sound yeah so tone thinking about tone all the time is very important mm-hmm. and you know you know that working in the studio yeah well it's a really interesting duality that exists in the guitar world because there are a lot of guitarists out there there are a lot of guitars, there's a lot of amps, there's a lot of pedals. So in a way, you could easily sound like someone else because there are so many guitarists out there. But also, there are so many different combinations possible with all the different guitar tones and pickups and strings, amps, pedals, etc. Yet, I'm wondering how difficult it can be because there's so much choice and where to start in terms of tones and there's a good chance you might land on something that's been done already. So do you feel that you have found a bit more your sound and what helped you crafting that, if that's the case? Uh, like, I feel like 90% of guitar players use all use the same gear, like myself included. Like, you know, everyone plays a Strat or a Tele or some sort of Gibson. Everyone plays through like a Fender style amp or a Vox. Um, obviously, the, the pedal thing is... You know, there's there's lots of pedals out there, but so many of them are just clones of of the same thing. So yeah, it's totally easy to just end up sounding like someone else. But but I suppose it goes back to the the, the studying different players and studying playing techniques and playing styles. The sound should really be coming. I don't know. This is such a fucking cliche. Like, but it should be coming from your hands. No, that's so true. You know, like so any unique thing that you have about you is going to be the gear is going to help of course the gear like if you decide to use a super kooky weird amp um yeah that's gonna that's gonna contribute to the sound but realistically the sound should be coming from like your head and your hands and your heart (laughs) (laughs) Gross. gross no but um yeah, but it but it is it is overwhelming. There's so much so much stuff out there. I'm kind of looking. I haven't bought too much gear in the last year, and I'm looking at stuff again, just because of us heading out on tour next year, and just wanted to get some new new things going. And it is like YouTube is just it's it's crazy how much stuff there is. Yeah, but I'm sure. Yeah, I find I find similarities with guitars and the studio world because. As you said, you first have to learn the basics. It's the same in the studio. You're not, you know, reinventing hot water or whatever the English expression is. <laughs> yeah. But um, you take microphone techniques that, you know, people have done before and you try to get similar sounds to certain records, whatever. Um, but then there's a tiny bit of adapting to the track, adapting to the studio, adapting to the mood on the day so there's still a little bit of like uniqueness happening on the day but still you're not doing anything groundbreaking or when it happens it's very rare occasions but I think it's okay to just accept that at the beginning start simple learn the basics as you said uh, it was the same for me just like you know what's the what are the stereo techniques and you know what's a SM57 on a guitar cab and that's okay and then progressively from that you can test what works for you what doesn't work for you what works for that specific situation that you're in and try to not get drowned in the endless possibilities and the amount of gear that you can possibly buy. Yeah, It's better to start simple, start with things that people have 
done and tried out before and build from there, build your skills and build your knowledge and your equipment. I'm just waffling uh, and I'm going to start uh, talking about microphones and I shouldn't. <laughs> Let's refocus on that. <laughs> you know, you're, you're dead right though. It, make, it makes sense. And like if you if you take, if you look at how many guitar players play like a, a Fender Strat, you know, you've got Steve Ray Vaughan, Jimi Hendrix, Eric Johnson, Hank Marvin, the guy from Biffy Clyro, Simon, is it Simon Neal? I can't remember his second name. Um, jazz guitar player near Felder whatever they, the point is they all sound totally different and they're playing the exact same instrument and a lot of them would have been just playing them through a Fender or Marshall amp so it's like again the the basic it's the basic element is there but the rest of it comes from how it's utilised and how it's manipulated yeah absolutely well thanks for sharing that would you like to tell us a bit more about what's the touring world like because you're just back yeah as you said from touring with Moncrief um around Europe myself and I'm sure a lot of people who are, who are listening are wondering what kind of lifestyle is attached to touring in terms of traveling so much and being away from home and how you balance it with your with your life then when you come back do you want to tell us a bit more about the this touring world yeah well it, it, it's there's it's a spectrum really there's like there's no one type of um touring world there like some of them are so different so like i mean that that tour that we just did there was four or five of us you know band and a front of house engineer who was also tour managing um and also driving and we're in a splitter van driving around germany and other bits of europe for a month so spend most of the day driving in the van arriving to soundcheck do the gig hang around for at the gig for a bit and then maybe drive two hours towards the next destination check into a hotel wake up drive for another six hours so it was like it was great and everyone who was involved were we were all we we're all like good friends and everyone got on but it was like a total slog <laughs> it was it was it was it was tough like in that way because it was just tiring yeah and you don't get this we didn't get to see many of the cities um and a lot of the gigs were support slots as well. So we did the we did two weeks with the script and that was all support slots. So we're playing like a half an hour of music a day and driving, you know, seven hours to to get there to do that, mm-hmm. which is no, I wasn't driving, so I was you know, I was able to sit in the back and go on my phone <laughs> and look out the window. But yeah, I mean so that 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 stuff is that's quite tiring. And it's it's almost like it was hard to have the brain capacity to think of other things like to like I didn't even watch anything I, I was like my brain I just didn't have I wasn't even sitting in the back of the van watching stuff on Netflix I was just like chatting with the lads but also I don't know gazing out the window and just being like oh geez we're all wrecked but uh it was fun it was it was good but the other end of Turin is like nice tour buses and you know five star hotels and cushy cushy stuff <laughs> which i got i got too used to when i was young uh and now i've been brought back down to earth <laughs> <laughs> do you find it important to stay connected with friends and family when you're away yeah like i, I definitely definitely do do that and was 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 definitely chatting a lot to people at home and calling people at home um there's a temptation to not do that because you're you're like trapped in your little bubble of five people or maybe 30 people it depends it depends on the tour but um yeah i think i think it's i think it's important to do that and it's also important to meet up with people that you know if you arrive in a certain let's say you're in some random city and you have a friend who moved there or a friend of a friend who moved there it's important i think to meet up with those people and take a break from the little weird bubble that you're in because you can get get a bit taxing on the brain being around the same people the whole time mm-hmm and and all being there focused on the same thing sometimes you got to go meet someone and talk about other shit because mm-hmm. because it, it, it's it, the weird thing about turn is you're kind of just taken off the face of the planet for like whatever amount of time you're away and you're there to do a particular thing and there's a whole world kind of moving by around you so 
yeah I suppose keeping in touch with that is good but it's hard it's definitely hard like I find it really hard to like write music I find it hard to like play the guitar outside the gig um <laughs> it's hard to get into a different music making mind space mindset yeah and I guess being that that uh forever transition you know between places is not helping because you you don't feel settled so it's not like uh, the appropriate conditions to to write or or feel like you can take time for anything because you're constantly on a move. Yeah, exactly. It's like if you're arriving into the venue at three o'clock in the day and you've got sound check at five, I don't want to take out my guitar and try and find some inspiration. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and in terms of the touring schedule, there's so that part is when you're on the road. When it comes to preparation, how much of it is needed and is it different depending the size of the venues, the size of the shows that you're playing? How much preparation happens on the session musician side? Um, I mean, I feel like it doesn't matter what size the venue is. You should do, you should put in 100% regardless of, of what you're playing or where you're playing. So the prep is as much prep as you feel comfortable doing to get to a level where you know you're not going to, you know, you're not going to fuck up. You know, you're going to do a great job. You know, you're going to sound. Yeah, you know, you're going to sound like you're supposed to sound. Um, yeah, I don't think that really depends. I don't think that really changes between artists. But but what does what does change things is budgets. And if an artist has a budget to do one day rehearsal, then so be it you you kind of got to go in obviously you got to go in prepared but also manage your expectations and know that by the time if you do one day rehearsal and then go out on a tour manage the expectations and be like ah oh, it's probably not going to be perfect on the first gig mm-hmm. whereas in in January when we go into rehearsals with Niall it's going to be two weeks rehearsals and I'm going to you know part of me wants wants to adopt the mentality of the one day rehearsal thing and just try and like knock out everything super quick so that we can chill <laughs> over the next two <laughs> weeks um and but but i think i think that's i think we probably will do something like that like the first two two or three days we'll we'll like blast through all the new tunes and then the final like 11 days will be um all about just kind of refining them mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, it, take, it takes the stress off trying to, you know, get into the last day of rehearsals and you still have two more tunes to do. At least if you brush on them all at the start, mm-hmm. you're good to go. But yeah, I mean, I much prefer when you've got fucking loads of rehearsal. I could rehearse for weeks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't like, yeah, I thought you were going to talk mainly about rehearsals um, with all the band, but I guess there's quite a lot of preparation happening uh, on your end alone at home. Yeah, like there's loads from a guitar playing point of view. There's loads of prep because there's learning, there's learning the songs. I mean, there's learning the form of every song and there's learning the harmony of every song. But then you're not always going to be playing all the harmony. So there's parts you learn the parts, and then there's programming sounds, and then there's programming your sounds in a way that you can swap it, switch between them like seamlessly throughout a gig. Um, so there's like a couple of steps. But but I find that because I'm MDing a lot of the gigs I'm playing guitar on, well, I mean, the Moncrief one and the Nile, Nile one, um, all the prep is, at first it's all in Ableton, just setting up setting up the stems for, for the backing tracks that we use, which is, you know, we don't we don't use a lot of track on the Nile gig. It's very, very minimal, but it's just setting up all that stuff, setting up clicks, setting up time code for the lights, um, figuring out what to mute because the lads are going to be playing certain things, um, figuring out what people are going to sample and trigger themselves. So it gets to a point where it's like, fuck, I haven't learned any guitar parts and uh, rehearsals are in, in a day's time, you know. So I'm, try- I'm trying, to, trying to do that differently this time. I've got all the Ableton stuff done and I just want to focus on getting some sweet tones for the next <laughs> week or two. Yeah. And when you're not MDing, how's the communication with the artists in terms of who decides the kind of general sonics and tones as you're talking about, uh, determining then therefore what equipment you're going to bring with you? 
I think that's up to you to figure to figure it out yourself mm-hmm. and and um, get in the ballpark. But then bring enough gear with you to if you've got it, or I suppose it's similar with a studio session. You know, bring enough gear to kind of cover a range of different different sounds, and you know, you might not always you might not always get it. Someone someone might have something to say and be like, "Oh, can you make this? You know, make this dirtier, add more reverb, or whatever the usual." Mm-hmm the usual stuff but yeah I mean I feel now we can kind of get getting a pretty good ballpark at home and then from then on it's just it's just tweaking but one one thing I've, I've been doing lately that I try I'm trying to keep in my head is to save the engineer you'll love this <laughs> save the save the engineer as much work as possible so even down to like the EQing end of things cut out the lows try and cut out as many nasty frequencies frequencies from the from the amp before they get to the mic and that's been like since I started doing that it's made the process longer and a bit more you have to be a bit more obsessive but fuck it sounds way better it sounds mm-hmm. cleaner you know mm-hmm. so yeah I haven't got into that yet for the next set of Nile tracks but I'm looking forward to just sitting here and you know, hooking up, hooking up all the gear. Well, thanks very much for being so thoughtful for the engineers. <laughs> I told <laughs> I mean, you guys, Jake is a the, great, great person to work with. <laughs> it's, 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 the, it's the least I can do. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually just for the anecdote. Uh, the last time we worked together uh, was in Camden and it was probably like one of the funniest sessions I've done. We had to do, was it 80 tracks in four days? It was like short snippets for, for the show and then that tune. So we had yeah. to do basically covers of uh, classic tracks and the guitar was usually the lead voice. So like, yeah, Jesus, having, yeah, having to go through tones as quickly as we could was just really amazing, creative. That That's when I, yeah, I realized the extent of, you know, how many different sounds you knew how to get in a very short space of time. Yeah, it was crazy. That was that was great. And when when was that? It was like November last year, right? Or October. I think it was around then. Yeah, possibly. It was good because it was like, it was right about the time when, you know, live music was coming back and everything was coming back and your brain was being worked again. So that was like, needed a lot of, needed a lot of brain power because, yeah, learning, learning songs on the spot. And the hard thing was the having to play all the vocal parts, mm-hmm. all the, all the, the lead vocal and all the back and vocal parts. Yeah, yeah. It was just like, yeah, my brain was numb <laughs> after every day. <laughs> it was madness, but it, was but it was really, really uh, creative and cool to do. It was great. We fucking, I think we knocked it out of the park and we like, yeah. it was a great sense of achievement. I never heard any of them. Is that TV show, did it even happen? I, <laughs> I don't think I've heard it either, but like I still have the yeah. sessions so I can send them to yeah. you. <laughs> nah, I think there's a few of those songs that, I think we were texting each other. Yeah, do you remember you just hear the songs in random places? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's in my brain for life now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good fun though. Good yeah. fun. So going back to your um, equipment, um, what are the main tools that you're using in terms of guitars, pedals, amps? Is Are there a couple of like Swiss knife guitars, gear that you can bring with you that you think is going to cover most tones and styles? Yeah, I mean, you, you, I feel like you need a telly, you need a strat. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, need something with homebookers. Although I, somehow I've managed to get get away for years without having, without properly having a guitar with homebookers. Like I borrow, my dad has a Les Paul that I borrow sometimes, but for some reason I've just never really gravitate towards them. Um, homebooker guitars, trying to change that. But um, yeah, I mean, a strat, a telly, yeah, a Les Paul type thing, maybe a hollow body. I don't think there's any Swiss Army things. I think they're just the they're the, they're the really obvious things that everyone just should have if you want to. Not if you want to be a session guitar player, but just if you want to sort of explore different sounds. Um, amp wise, I mean, like a lot of people would probably say, like a Helix or a Kemper at this point. To so they so they have basically everything yeah. in a digital box. Um, I, yeah, I don't. I, I use like a, a Line Six 
HX stop, which is like a little helix for effects. But for amps and stuff, I just use real real amps when I can. Um, yeah, like AC30 type amp, a Fender Deluxe type amp. Mm-hmm. Um, what else is good? I mean, Strymon Iridium, Strymon make a cool little amp in a box thing that 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 I think is really good for DI and guitar whenever whenever you have to do that. So the first the first run of that Moncrief tour, we did the script uh, support gigs, and I was DI for all of that just because it was it was cheaper mm-hmm. for them. They didn't have to rent an amp for two weeks, um, and that was fine. It sounded great. True. Cool. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, do you usually favour to bring your own amp or do you prefer to rent it? If I'm in Camden Studios, I prefer not to bring my own amp because there's, <laughs> there's, nice, there's nice amps there. Uh, Connor has a nice Supro and Keen has a nice twin, a 65 twin. That's really fucking nice. I was really impressed with that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm lazy. Like, a lot. sometimes it's just like... <laughs> If it's handier to for them to rent something, I'm happy for people to rent a, a Hot Rod Deluxe or like a Hot Rod DeVille or something. But like, but when it, it depends on the, it depends in a way on the gig. Like if, if it's, if it's like a Nile type thing where there's techs and, you know, we're going away for a long time. Of course, I'd rather bring my own gear and I'll bring as much of it as is needed, you know, and as much as as much as I want in a way, but as much as is needed to suit the gigs. So, like, ideally, we'll have a stereo setup live, two different amps rather than two similar ones, because I just like like the feel of something being a bit a slightly grittier, maybe, and a bit chimier, and then something being a bit more rounded and and clean. And then obviously, bring your own pedals always. But I like I like I like using I like using other people's guitars. Whenever there's an opportunity to do that, it's mm-hmm. fun. It's fun playing someone else's guitar if it's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Well, what are the regulations in terms of how much gear you can bring with you, the insurance, and like you know the weight and everything? Um, and do you also have to plan a backup then, or do you have someone around who might have a guitar in case something goes wrong or an extra amp? Um, well, I'd always bring like two guitars, so I always have a spare guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, for for like maybe maybe something where we're flying around or we're like traveling by van. Yeah, always have a spare guitar. Um, in that kind of scenario, spare amp it would be like have a spare DI amp. Mm-hmm. In a Nile scenario, I'd, I'd probably bring like five or six guitars with me. And then this 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 time around, we have to like we basically have to have a B rig, so kind of a, a close enough carbon copy of our rig somewhere else so that might be in the states and then one rig might be in the uk mm-hmm. so that means four amps two and two and then one spare in each pack so i'm gonna need to get in touch with the company that endorsed me um and see if they will give me four amps on loan which is a bit of an ask <laughs> but yeah they're sound so <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully they'll do it um and then guitars yeah i've got enough guitars to mm-hmm. to go around do your guitars usually travel with you do you buy like another um seat if it's cheap enough because guitars can be quite you know uh you know knocked around if you put it in the luggage i've never bought a seat for a guitar i always just throw it under and it's i mean in, I, I have a strat i've got this red strat that's gone it's gone missing like four times <laughs> from from throwing it in the hold um but wow it's never gotten damaged none's ever gotten damaged um so i'd be i'd be a bit more careful about acoustics maybe but mm-hmm. yeah i mean next year with now i won't have to fly with any guitars they'll just be they'll just be f- shipping them around or mm-hmm. they'll be they'll be taking care of that <laughs> Who's looking after the insurance? Do you insure your own equipment at home? Do you insure your equipment when you travel? How does that work? I don't have any musical instrument insurance, so I probably should <laughs> consider that. Living on yeah. the edge. Yeah. <laughs> the, th- the thing is, uh, I should have them insured. Obviously, that's that makes so much sense. The reason I haven't gone and done that is because none of them are that sentimental to me. And 
although they're all different and they all sound different and they've all got a personality and all this <laughs> crap, they're not, they're, they're kind of just tools. Yeah. They're tools to sort of communicate, you know, whatever, whatever you're hearing in your head. So, so I've never gone, oh, fuck, yeah, I'd, I'd really be gutted if I lost that. Obviously, I would be, I, I'd be really unhappy if that strat disappeared or it was broken or something. But yeah, I'll add that to the list. That's the January to-do list. <laughs> Some insurance. And that's not something that's brought up when booking the flights and everything? Like, how does it work? Because um, I'd like to go back when you're talking about the budgets, for example, and we don't have to go in depth about figures if you're not comfortable with it, but I'd be interested to know what's included when a tour is planned for you as a session musician in terms of your expenses. So the traveling, the insurance possibly of the equipment, the, the rental, do you have to look after that? Do you guide people saying like, this is what I need? Or, you know, is someone completely looking after that and not you? Who's looking after what and who's paying for what? Well, I think I think the insurance thing is down to you to get your like you should. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't think it's ever been brought up, but yeah, I feel like you should just have your probably should have your instruments insured if you're bringing them on a tour. So, I mean, they're not going to pay. I don't think any artist you play with is going to pay for insurance on something they don't own. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I should probably get them insured. Good to know. <laughs> but rent, rental stuff, rental stuff is the the, the artist will always will always pay for it. And you basically will just give them a spec sheet of, you know, what your ideal, if, it, if it's instruments, ideally an American telly or whatever, an American strat, maybe a couple other options just in case. I mean, at most rental companies will have a telly or a strat. If they don't have a telly or a strat, they're probably, they're probably gone out of business at this point. <laughs> um, and then amps, same thing, just list a couple of amps. Yeah, nothing too official about it. It's all very... I find these conversations are always very casual. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I suppose the idea is to try and rent something that's close enough to what you have, what, what you're actually using when you use your own gear, because, you know, things should things should sound how they're intended to sound. Mm -hmm. Feel familiar with it. Yeah. <laughs> and in terms of uh, expenses, how does it work? Expenses? Well, you don't pay for any travel or hotels or... I mean, and then you get per diems, so you you'll get... 40, 40 quid, 50 quid a day to to cover any food or meals. Mm -hmm. Then venues have catering a lot of the time. Okay. Yeah, so you 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 could you could theoretically not spend any money at all on like on a on like a on like a, a sort of a, a tour like with Nile where there's like catering every day and there's like good per diems. Um, you could you could pretty much not spend any money. Mm -hmm. But if you're going out drinking pints with the lads, you will, you will, you will be spending <laughs> I was, money. <laughs> I was trying really hard not to say. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Is there and like a fine budget? <laughs> yeah, that's where the per diems usually goes, not on meals. <laughs> <laughs> Just eating crisps, really cheap crisps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's it. I mean the the yeah the band the band the Nile band lads are everyone loves loves having a beer in that band so. <laughs> just resetting the clocks after like you know intense gigs and stuff <laughs> yeah 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 or intense rehearsals you know <laughs> yeah the social is such a big aspect isn't it like we can definitely yeah. talk about that how important is it it is to to bond with the people you're working with and how in the music industry it's you know it's a bit the cliche of saying it's 50% skills 50% social has your relationship with the artist as a Session musician, uh, have you been touring with like your own your own bands, or like have, have you seen a different experience being with a band in as a permanent member versus being a session musician? No, I've ne never done that. Never, never done any sort of touring or gigging really as a member of of a band. It's always been a always been a session guy. But I mean, I get like yeah, it's similar in the way that everyone has to get on, and the most important thing is that everyone gets on with each other and you know, doesn't sweat over the little things and doesn't, you know, it's easy to get on people's nerves, especially if it's like a van tour and you're, you're tired all the time. But yes, yeah, I mean, the most important thing is to just, to just get along and be sound to each other and maybe understand that someone's not having a great day. Mm -hmm. um, but I suppose if it was a band touring, I reckon a band touring is a fucking nightmare because like, touring with an artist as session 
people is fine. Um, and I mean, the, the tour manager just has to look after one artist. But when you're looking after a band, there's like five artists in the band. And, you know, that's that just sounds... Because, you know, like everyone's got egos. Session musicians have egos. Artists have egos. Five five artists with big egos in a band sounds sounds like a fucking nightmare. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, I forget what the question was. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I think it, it, it answers it. Um, it. It was about, like, yeah, the social and how to bond. Or if you had any yeah, yeah recommendation uh, for, for people to manage to self-care but also be part of it, do you find it's a little bit easier as a session musician because you can detach yourself more easily from the project and think about your next project whereas if you were in the band or if you're the artist then there's so much more pressure yeah totally you're you're totally detached you can you can switch off from it because your your job is to go there and play music for an hour and a half a night or whatever and but yeah you don't have to be thinking i mean you don't have the pressure the pressure is not on you the pressure is on the artist you don't have to be thinking about your tiktok or your fucking you know the the 15 radio interviews you have to do that morning it's impossible for for them to switch off well it's not possible but it's harder for an artist to switch off but session player we're very good at switching off mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know but but not not to not to not to say that like it means that you just like zone out and stop caring about about the project like de- definitely not like yeah i'm sure you still ca- engage a lot yeah totally like and, the, and there's always always um i mean the conversation always probably comes back around to the project and so yeah maybe it is harder to switch off um because the artists kind of if you're spending a lot of time with them they set the tone so mm-hmm. if there's a lot of focus on the project then you're going to be somewhat invested in that mm-hmm. but i don't mind it you know i mean once everyone can just have a bit of crack together and like have a laugh and not always take it super seriously the whole time then yeah. i think it makes makes for a good a good squad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you mentioned, I'm sure over the years it's just become easier to think about letting go. So both in terms of the gig. So if something goes wrong or you don't didn't play that well that night or, you know, there wasn't as much audience as you were expecting or whatever. It's about like thinking about tomorrow and same when you said it's about not sweating about the small things and it happens when you're crammed in a bus for like with the same people for 24 hours. If someone makes a comment, you should just let go and and move on. I guess that's something that you've learned um, over the years and that must be much easier now. Yeah, definitely, and it gets easier with the longer you the the, the longer you spend with a particular group of people. Mm-hmm. So, like the Nile band guys, I know like, all of them extremely well, and we're all we're all best mates at this point. We weren't best mates when we started; out. we didn't know each other. So, yeah, we, we've all learned to deal with each other, and <laughs> we know how to. We also know how to pick at each other though, and um, get under each other's skin. So. <laughs> You know, whenever things do get out of hand, like everyone knows how to push each other's buttons and that's annoying. Lovely. <laughs> that sounds but, but, great. But that's the good thing. That's the good thing about, you know, being in a band with someone. If someone's being a dickhead, you can call them out on it and say, listen, you're being an asshole. Mm-hmm. Cop the fuck on. Yeah. And the other person will go, oh, well, I disagree. Uh, fuck yeah, maybe you're right. <laughs> and then we'll hug and make up and it's all good. Because yeah. it's never coming, it's never coming from a place of like malice. It's yeah. it's coming for, you know, you just, you're just thinking of the, the greater good and the vibe in the, in the, in the band, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, healthy communication and being aware that it's a weird environment to be part of, you know, touring and being far away from home and stress with the pressure of the gigs and stuff like that. So, yeah. You have to be a bit forgiving um, and understanding of others. But um, yeah, tell us more about your journey with the Niall Horan crew because we've just, you know, kept saying yeah. here and there, like, you know, Niall Horan and, you know, the, your your uh, role as a musical director. Tell us how you got yeah. into it and what your journey has been with Niall. Yeah, um, that started in 2017. Did, I did an audition over and came over, over to London, did an audition and all the band that are the band now, apart from apart from the drummer, auditioned that day as well. And everyone got the gig and yeah, it was like it was big moments, you know, it was the first sort of 
bigger artists that I'd play, played with. Um, so, yeah, it started a couple of months later, did like two weeks rehearsals or like 10 days rehearsals. Just just practiced four songs for like 10 days because uh, that's all we, we were going to be doing for the... We were just going to be playing one song on TV and then do a couple of little festival slots where we play like for 20 minutes. So basically just played four songs for like six months. <laughs> um, and then in the August, that was 2017, in the August of that year, did did rehearsals for his first album and then went out touring it for about a year. And it was great. I mean, it was, it was crazy because it was like, it was the first opportunity, first gig I ever did that had techs on it where you had your own monitor guy, you had your own front of house guy. Uh, it was the first gig I'd ever done with in-ear monitors as well, which was which was great. Um, I mean, it was I found it tough at the start, but I have gotten into that. Um, first gig where I was able to, first time I was able to like get in touch with loads of guitar companies and get get sent free guitars or get like discounts on on things. So I picked up like a lot of gear that year. Um, loads of pedals, loads of amps, loads of guitars. <laughs> so yeah, it was cool. I mean, everything. It was. It was probably. It was probably the happiest, happiest year of my life. Although, like, I'm still pretty happy now. But, but it was. <laughs> it was pretty fucking. It was pretty cool. Like, I loved it. And what do you do as a musical director, both for Nile and for Moncrief? You're basically like a middleman between what the artist has in their head, and then and then the band, and you've got to sort of transfer how an artist describes what they want into maybe a way that a bunch of musicians will understand better and you sort of you're in charge of the rehearsals you're the one who kind of has the call on you know say if the drummer goes will I try this thing or will I try that thing you're kind of the final say and every band sort of needs one because if if you didn't have one then there'd be like five five people all Given opinions, which is good, all up for people giving opinions. That's great, um, but it'd be just harder to to come up with a definite answer. So mm-hmm. I suppose an, an, an MD kind of puts the full stop on it and says, "Yeah, that's that's what we're going to do." Um, mm-hmm. What else is involved in it? You're, ba- you're, ba- you're just a, you're basically just a, con- a, a point of contact between artist and band, management and band, band and sound uh, front of house engineer artist in front of house engineer sometimes light and engineer as well but it's it, it's fine it's like a bit more work it's definitely a bit more work than um playing and learning the songs but i enjoy it because there's a creative element to it you, you can come up with interesting ways to to play the songs different arrangements for live gigs um come up with like different acoustic versions you'll do a version you'll do mm. arrangements of covers but I also love doing gigs where I'm not MDing. <laughs> That's fucking great as well. Because then you don't have to think. Just play. <laughs> you seem to like the challenges and the variation because you do a bit of studio work, uh, a lot of live, a bit of MD. You write your own songs now as well? Uh, I mean, anytime I write songs, it's usually with someone else. It's usually co- co-writing. But I have... But yeah, my own, my own project is... Well, there's two. There's one that's just under my name that's acoustic nice chill tunes to fall asleep to (laughs) (laughs) and then and then I've got a a lo-fi project with a buddy of mine who's actually in Niles band um John and that's called Sebastian and that's lo-fi hip-hop stuff so instrumental beats with Mm -hmm. you know nice pretty sounding wonky sounding guitars <laughs> yeah i listened to some of it it was quite nice i thought it'd be nice to it's talk just, about it today <laughs> but that's fun yeah yeah i mean he john john hates me at the moment because I've, I've been away and i haven't had much time to to put into to sebastian so he's like he was texting me all day trying to get me to do stuff but <laughs> i just didn't i didn't have any time um but yeah that that project's fun that started this year it started in january or february earlier this year and we've like released um a tune every month since april brilliant and continue to do that um as we go on and at least we'll be touring together so we can Mm. we can work on stuff together while we're away but it's great it's nice to have an outlet after you know after a fair few years of not having one Mm -hmm. yeah what's important pointing out as well is that you made the move 
last year to go from Ireland to London. Can you tell us what differences you can see between the UK and Ireland? Is it that it's really hard to make it as a session musician in Ireland? What are the things that can be improved in Ireland that explains why everyone is going to London um, and what opportunities did that then open for you? I, th- I think there's there's more, there's definitely just, the, the population's bigger, so there's a bigger music industry. There's a lot more touring artists here. There's a few in Ireland, but there's still a shitload of musicians in Ireland. So it's like, it's a lot of people competing for certain gigs. Whereas here, there's, 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 there's God, there's a lot of musicians here. It's crazy. But um, yeah, but there, there definitely seems like there's more touring work. Um, I mean, I kind, I kind of feel like the move, I, I, I'm delighted I made the move and I really like it here. But I got really busy with Moncrief earlier in the year. And that's kind of kept me out of London a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot at the start of the year, I was coming back to Ireland to do, to do, there was a couple of things in Camden and a couple of, just a couple of recording sessions and then a couple of Irish tours and a couple of things with the orchestra and kind of stopped going, but tried, like the goal was to not go back to Ireland too much um, after about six months in and that happened, but. Uh, yeah, I've just been away like a lot since July. So it's it's definitely been slower getting into a scene here. Um, but I'm putting that down to just being, not being here and being away, which is good. It's a good complaint. Um, but I have met loads of, I have met loads of musicians and I've made, I've made new friends, which is, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I didn't move here, I don't think the Sebastian project with John would have started. Mm-hmm. So, cause we, we live like down the road from each other. So, we're able to hang out and work on that, yeah. And but you definitely think that's going to bring more opportunities to be in London rather than in Ireland. Yeah, I mean, maybe like different opportunities, you know. I mean, maybe maybe not more, but I suppose the ceiling is a bit higher. Like there's there's kind of there's bigger artists you can play for. There's more maybe there's more kind of big budget recording. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. I'm still figuring it out, but. I mean, Ireland. Ireland does have a great music scene for sure. It's just, it's just the population is so small that the the music industry is tiny. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, I'll be following your adventures and hoping that you know a lot of good stuff happens along the way. So we'll catch up again in like a few months <laughs> to see how it's going in London. But um, for our last question, um, I'm really excited to hear what you're going to tell us. It's the question that's related to the title of the podcast: "The Music Tricked Me." And it's where I ask people when there's been artists or albums or songs that they've heard and stayed with them because they were just like, I haven't heard that before. I've, I've been tricked or something different has happened here. Can you think of some examples of when that happened to you? Uh, God, it's probably all really boring guitar stuff because I just used to listen to loads of guitar players. <laughs> No, go on. I'm I'm super curious to hear. I mean, the first few times I listened to like Steve Vai or Eddie Van Halen, I couldn't believe what was going on. So there's like a Steve Vai live at the Astoria in London DVD. And I remember watching that when I was 11 or 12 and just being like, holy fuck, this is this is mental. Um, <laughs> I mean, that, that definitely blew my mind. There's songs that like blow my mind that like I some of them I, I just can't believe they were written or mm-hmm. find them incredibly beautiful um, like Take It With Me by Tom Waits is one that's really really nice and I'm like oh man that's that kind of catches me every time um, that's good that's a good question I hadn't I hadn't thought about anything like that before um, I mean like Blake Mills whenever I listen to Blake Mills play guitar I I can't believe what he's doing it's like he 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 tricks me <laughs> big time. I'm like I'm like, what is this guy doing? It's fucking nuts. Um, in the most musical way possible. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not show offy or anything. It's super tasteful. But yeah, well, that's brilliant. That's loads already. And if you're thinking about anything, even in the next few weeks, send it to me. I'll add it on the uh, Spotify playlist that um, we're going to create to gather all those 
records or songs that people were just like, yeah, you have to give that a listen because it's unreal. So feel free to share uh, even if it's in a few weeks. And uh, thanks so much for your time. Anyway, I know you've been so busy and it looks like a super promising coming year as well. So all the best for what's coming in 2023 and uh, yeah super grateful for your time it was super insightful to have your stories and uh, good luck in London have a nice Christmas with your family um, and a nice evening thanks so much no, thanks for having me appreciate it it's been good fun <laughs> catch you soon thanks Elise